Welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, a podcast where we speak with Merida College faculty members on important issues that impact our campus and impact our world. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and today we are pleased to welcome Andrew Beck, Assistant Professor of Geology. Dr. Beck has worked for the Smithsonian Institute, was a team member for NASA's Dawn mission, and was part of the Antarctic Search for Meteorites program. Dr. Beck has worked at Merida College since 2019. Today, we are pleased to welcome Andrew to our podcast to talk about the two different science teams he is working with on future missions to Mars. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, As I just mentioned, you are working with two different teams related to a mission to Mars. Can you talk about each project and the entities that that are sponsoring them? Sure. Uh, so first, I guess to step back a little bit, it used to be that exploring other planets was done through telescopes on Earth. So it was like an astronomy thing. Um, and now geology has kind of taken over a lot of the exploration of the solar system because we're now going to those planets and landing there or orbiting and taking like really high res images on the surface. So that's why I just kind of like to preface because a lot of people think, oh, you must do astronomy. No, I I do geology. So I like to say it's kind of a fun uh, development in the field of geology. And we actually just got, um, well, we're introducing next fall a planetary science major at Marietta that's going to kind of start getting students to do a little geology, a little astronomy into that pipeline. So I just wanted to start with that. To answer your question um, directly, It's a single mission called the Martian Moons, plural, exploration mission. Um, And that's because Mars has two moons, Phobos and Deimos. And it is a mission that is being flown by the Japanese version of NASA called JAXA. Um, But whenever you have a spacecraft mission, be it NASA or JAXA or the European Space Agency, there's a lot of like sub instruments or sub missions with on the actual spacecraft. So there's all these different instruments that are going to be uh, doing stuff. And one of them is uh, built by uh, a institution called the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab. It's a gamma ray and neutron spectrometer. It sounds really heady, but it's basically it can tell you the chemistry on the surface. So what different elements on the periodic table are in that part of the surface. And whenever you have um, uh, elements from the periodic table making up a natural thing on the surface, it's a rock. So that's where I come in and helping interpret what rocks those are on the surface. So that's one of the parts of that mission. The second is this uh, Martian moons exploration mission is going to actually land, drill down, pick up a piece of sample from one of the moons called Phobos, and then bring that back to Earth. And then um, I'm part of the team that's going to be investigating some of that stuff. Um, So that's going to be pretty fun, too. So both the gamma ray neutron spectrometer and then the piece is the the one that's actually going to drill a little bit and bring it back. So those are the two. So you've hit on two different type of experiments, I guess I'll say, or, or, or you know, they're the missions that, you're, that are going on there. What uh, do you and, and the other scientists hope to learn from these different studies and these opportunities? Sure. So in the, and sorry, I just go into teaching mode a little bit each time, in the inner solar system, which is halfway through the asteroid belt in towards the sun, um, Moons form a little bit differently on planets than in the outer solar system. In the outer solar system, like Jupiter, Saturn, they have tons of moons, and they mainly accrete from material at the time those planets are forming. In the inner solar system, 
we think they formed in different ways. For example, our moon, we think formed when a massive body collided into Earth early on, ejected a bunch of material into space, and then that material coalesced into our moon. We're unsure how the Martian moons formed. We think maybe that's an option, that giant impact thing that I just described for Earth. Maybe how they formed in the outer solar system is an option. They accreted at the same time. Or maybe they're an object that was captured in the Martian orbit and then kind of stayed there. So that's the main science question that's going to be addressed um, uh, through those different instruments. But then there'll be a slew of other things um, that will be addressed as well. But that's like the main one. Um, so you're talking about these. Can you tell us what's the schedule? What's the deadline for these projects? So people have an idea of how soon you'll be really getting to do some of this stuff. Sure. So the launch is, um, I think, a little bit in flux. But last I heard, it's like 2025, 2024, something like that. Um, then it generally, uh, top mind, I think it takes like maybe six months or a little less to get to Mars from there. So that would put us in the 2025-ish, 2026, for when there's going to be orbiting around the body. And that's when the gamma ray and neutron detector will be doing some data return. Um, but I think the scheduled return of the sample to Earth would be into the 2030s. So we'll say early 2030, late 2020s. But that's still kind of being determined, that exact timeline. So this is kind of a question just out of left field for you here. But yeah. I, like, I mean, you talk about this stuff and you're talking about, you know, not you personally, but going into outer space and you getting the opportunity to one day look at these things and, and, and understand what they are and, and do run experiments or whatever. Um, you know, do you ever just get like, you know, a friend or someone because, like, man, you got some cool things you get to do. I mean, do you, I mean, I got to imagine you look at this like I got a pretty cool thing I get to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice. I mean, examining extraterrestrial material. And I've been doing that, like I do it through meteorites. Um, and so that's a similar thing. And so I think it's very fascinating to be looking at stuff that is not from Earth while standing on Earth and, and looking at things that are older than Earth while standing on Earth. That's something that um, I think is really cool. And yeah, certainly people bring it up. Okay. Um, again, back to the mission. I mean, as you said it, or hinted at, this is an unmanned mission. There's not uh, people going on this. Um, what do you think has to happen or what has to improve or whatever we're looking at in order for people to one day really go there and be able to do it maybe more in person and less waiting for it to come back? Sure. So I think that there's two parts to that answer in my mind. Um, to go to Mars, we would first, A, have to return to the moon. We haven't been there in my lifetime. <laughs> so we got to go back there first. Then we'll probably go to some near-Earth asteroids that are between here and Mars, just so we can say we've landed on something else with humans. Then after that, it would probably be a trip to Mars. So that's probably a little bit further down. And also, so that's one part. It's not going to be, oh, we'll go there next. we got to do those other baby steps first. The second is um, in-situ resource utilization needs to be really mastered. And what that means... Um, is we need to learn how to use the materials that are there or on the way there uh, instead of bringing everything with us. For example, it costs a astronomical amount of money um, to launch one gram of mass out of Earth orbit. And if you think about all the water we would have to take and all the fuel we would have to take for a mission to Mars, it makes it much more cost-effective to 
uh, mine ice on the moon or ice on asteroids that we can then turn into water or fuel because hydrogen um, is a very useful f rocket fuel and we can take H2O and break out the hydrogen use it. So if we can use resources on the way, that's something we're definitely going to have to master that technology, which is why I think it's great that a lot of um, private industries are getting involved in space travel because they're really pushing that boundary. So I think that'll be kind of the the um, the hurdles that have to be overcome. And then one other thing I'd say, just to plug geology a bit more, when we had astronauts on the moon, we could basically real time uh, tell them, hey, go there and pick up that rock because the communication was very little delay. It takes, I think, on a really good alignment, maybe 10 or 15 minutes for a signal to get to Mars. So the folks that are going there will have to be trained in being able to do the type of science autonomously because we can't just basically watch a camera and say, walk over there because the delay is so much. So that's just one other piece of the human exploration part that I think is important. Well, you can make plugs for the geologists as much as you want. We're, that's what we're here to do. And so you made me think of another question as you were just saying that. Can you explain to us the importance of getting back to the moon then? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's the getting humans back there is that first step of us uh, having humans go to other parts of the solar system. So I think that's a very uh, significant part is is doing that. And again, the privatization of that effort, I think, is really helping push that forward uh, a bit more. So, And how soon do you see that happening? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I, In my lifetime, like each president will say, oh, it's going to happen. And then it doesn't. And then, oh, it's going to happen. It doesn't. So I, I'm hoping, I think that NASA is really pushing at it now. And I would say within the next 10 years, I think it actually will happen. But again, those promises come and go occasionally. Well, as I always like to do, I like to find a way to bring it back to the classroom here on campus. And as I said, you these things that you're talking about, these things that you're working with are, are really cool things that people want to talk about. How much do students enjoy having these conversations? How much do you bring these experiences you're having back into the classroom? Yeah, so I do it, uh, I try and do it in two ways. One, the more like involved with the actual mission stuff my upper level uh, geology majors and planetary science majors work with some of the mission data. Uh, we had a student last summer who was doing an internship, um, or sorry, doing a research project with me prepping for some of that instrument data. So um, that was from the gamma ray and neutron spectrometer. But I envision when the mission returns with samples, students will be involved in, in looking at that stuff. And then in introductory classes, um, we bring in uh, materials from um, the moon and asteroids. We request them from NASA. They come in in this little sample disk, and the students in those introductory classes get the chance to look at that. Um, and I think it's pretty cool because it's the oldest thing they'll ever look at in their life and uh, some of these meteorite stuff. So I think they get a kick out of that. So, yeah, I, I leverage some of those connections to bring in some of that material that we can look at in class so they can kind of get first-hand experience um, in looking at some of this extraterrestrial geologic material. So, All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Faculty Chronicles, and thank you to Dr. Beck for sharing his amazing scientific work related to Mars and, uh, and geology. Uh, if you would like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.